If you were two and seven, you'd be in a bad mood too. Oh, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is free. Oh, he hits the upright again. That's impossible. Get your mouth shut. Get your mouth shut. Jerk. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. If worms had machine guns, then birds wouldn't be scared of them. Welcome to the Wordhole Media presentation of the Limp Ditkas Podcast. I'm Pete. I'm Ryan. Welcome to the Limp Ditkas Podcast. We are just a couple of Chicago pricks united by our hatred of Michigan football and the Chicago Bears. We are coming to you on a Tuesday night. We've got some Tuesday night football we're going to talk briefly about in a larger context. We have a Lions victory to discuss. To discuss. Uh, yet SOL is still undefeated. Uh, we have the Cowboys inching ever closer to clinching a playoff berth in their division title. Uh, we have an embarrassing performance by the Chicago Bears on Monday Night Football to discuss. I have some USFL news to discuss involving my Michigan Panthers. And we have a little bit of college football talk to talk about at the end. So... Let's go ahead and kick this motherfucker off. Well, we are at halftime. Just uh, I think third quarters are starting for oh. uh, Rams and Seahawks, as well as the football team and Eagles on a Tuesday a, night here. Got a scoring update on those? Or? Uh, I haven't looked brief in the last 20 minutes or so but um okay. i did see uh matt stafford throw an interception to another former lion quadri Diggs. no way which made me smile on both sides i guess yeah, I don't know. you don't say the irony but yeah we are get we're, we've got tuesday night football action which i kind of like i don't really like the reason why why we have it but we had two monday night football games which i really like they had a five o'clock game here in the eastern time zone and an eight fifteen game so it's almost like we're getting bonus football because of a pandemic. The COVID-19 has reared its ugly head again with the Omicron variant, uh, leading to postponements and not cancellations in the NFL yet, but we've seen some cancellations and postponements across all of sports. Um, it's kind of strange. We're kind of back to where we were almost two years ago, but yeah, the NFL soldiers on. Uh, so it's weird because they're, I mean, they're tough. They're yes, tough. They're tough. They're tough. They're tough. I think this is a little bit different context in that we do have defenses against this virus now. We are vaccinated. Those who choose to be vaccinated, we're. Uh, can choose to be have a booster shot uh, before. I just we were... got one last week. Nice, congrats! I'm getting mine I'm on Friday. Superpower. I'm getting mine on Christmas Eve day. It was oh, Merry Christmas get. to you. Yeah, so hopefully I'm not laid up from that all, all weekend. I, we'll see. I had no side effects except for the the little sore arm issue. That was I, it. I had the sore arm from my uh, Moderna shot, two shots back in the spring. I'm getting the Pfizer shot on Friday. So we'll see how that works out, but it's neither here nor there. Um, so I got, yeah, my, my overarching theme, I guess for this is I love the, the seemingly bonus football we're getting. We're getting five nights of football. Uh, it just sucks how it's happening. It seems a little bit unnecessary. Cons- and I guess that we have to wait for the science to play this out. And 
and I think we're, you know, the NFL is using a, an abundance of caution when they're approaching this by postponing games. It, it feels like we're they're applying their sensibilities and their rules from 2020 to almost 2022 now, where things are different. Like I mentioned, we have defenses, uh, we have science, you know, we we have statistics, we we understand the the virus much more than we did two years ago. We had no idea what the fuck was happening when, you know, these original policies were put in place. So I wonder if they need to adjust, you know, whether they're going to sideline, you know, if you test positive, but have no symptoms, you're immediately sidelined. But if you have the, the vaccine, you know, if you have two negative tests, I, I believe you, you can be back on the field. I feel like we need to adjust everything with this Omicron variant, which is far more uh, contagious, but it seems to be, you know, less dangerous, especially to those who are vaccinated. So I'm, I'm wondering if they can relax these a bit. Um, I think they might have to wait a while until the data really proves those, those initial findings uh, to be correct or not. So I don't know. What, what did you think about how the NFL is handling this so far? Um, I mean, they, they basically said we're moving it back to where we were, you know, they, 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 um, they put in the stricter ruler rulings in place. It was crazy, like going into the weekend. So I think, you know, people were supposed to be wearing masks on the sidelines and all that stuff again. Um, I I agree, but I, I think the problem is there's probably a large number of players who are not vaccinated. I don't think it's large. I think there is definitely a percentage, but it's much a much smaller percentage than the regular population, which is interesting. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the actual numbers are, and I'm not sure that you know they've they've actually released all that, or if every team has to yeah, it's really different on every team if the percentages are way different. But I mean, yeah, I guess the I guess the question comes in like you know what what are what are they really putting at risk to your point by for a player who has no symptoms if he can play i mean should he just be allowed to play because of all the stuff we know now right. um, i mean I, the brown the browns were down 14 players the bears were down like 14 players i think the browns may have been, been down more than 14 they pushed um, their game back to to last night but they still didn't have yeah. baker mayfield back yeah. or any you know any of the key guys that were that had covid so i'm not really sure why they're postponing that at those games at that point like yeah if you're just going to soldier through anyway, I mean, maybe they're hoping that they would be okay by yeah. then. I mean, I, I also think that's... it's a little bit arbitrary because, you know, two weeks ago, the Lions had 20 guys out. Uh, not all of them are COVID. They had eight by game day. But, you know, how come their game wasn't postponed in Denver? You know, give them a few more days to get to get healthy. But that didn't happen. So I don't know. It's a little bit arbitrary how it's being played out. But, you know, again, you can't really... You know, they're reacting to to unprecedented times. So I, I can't as much as I'd love to bash and the whole world loves to bash Roger, Roger Goodell. I'm not sure you right. can in this case. Or I guess they're doing the best they can. But yeah, I mean, they haven't really I mean, nothing's been canceled. So I guess that's, you know, when you see these large number of starters out, though, you you know, you you wonder like, oh, you know, is this going to lead to cancellation versus, you know, pulling these players from these practice squads and may and they're suddenly making their first nfl starts in that in the middle of a playoff race see that's yeah. that's where it gets all sketchy for me and 
today, and I don't know, is, is this going to affect their decisions on how they do things? Both Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are, are tested positive. So there's no way they're playing this weekend. Are they, Well, see, I'm hearing different things. Like Jared Goff from the Lions tested positive yesterday, and all he has to do is test negative twice this week, and he could, he, he could come right back to practice. But I don't twice, know. If that's the... Twice in more than a 24 hour period. Yes, correct. So th- that's why if it, you know, he tested positive on Monday, so he could come back by Thursday, theoretically. Um, he, and he has mild, he said he had mild symptoms, like a, like a mild cold, basically. So I don't know how that plays out. I don't know if that's because he's vaccinated. Maybe Tyreek Hill isn't. I, I don't know if he has different, if that they have different, uh, different uh policies for that or how that works but i'm just saying i know i know for a fact jared goff could come back this week so that might be the the same scenario for those guys too yeah i mean i hate to say this i'm just gonna make a judgment call i'm gonna guess looking at travis kelsey he's not vaccinated (laughs) looking at him okay (laughs) (sighs) just kidding and sort of well, um, but we've probably, uh, we've probably yeah, gone as deep as we need to go on this subject. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're. I guess waters. you're. I guess you're right. You 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 do have. He does. Have, they do have more than enough opportunity to test twice before uh, Sunday's game. So. Your point, though, is it, it, you know at least this week it hasn't affected playoff races because they have played all the games. But they they literally can't postpone games or cancel games at this point because they all need to be played to figure out the playoff. But it has so. affected playoff races because of Cleveland, not because of that's my point was, do they with all this seating that's left to be decided and every division is gone is has now collapsed, right? Yeah especially the NFC, the NFC picture this week is completely different than it was last week. And, you know, is that going to, if more key players are out and are we going to hear, is it going to be like teams didn't make the playoffs because they didn't have their starters out there for a week or two even. So, I mean, it's, it, it it it's affecting it in a different way, not in the fact that they're not playing the games, but they're playing the games with with fifteen backup players. You know, right. you know the, and we'll talk about this later. You know, the Vikings played a bad but shorthanded Bears team too, so that helps their playoff chances. Raiders' playoff chances are helped by what happened in Cleveland. So, I don't know, but. I got to say, COVID aside, something that helped my team's playoffs chances getting the number one seed were your Detroit Lions. <laughs> well, yes, thank you for bringing up my Detroit Lions as uh, they won a game and yet they lost at the same time. I, even when the Lions win, SOL is undefeated is the way I like to put it as Yes, the Lions had a major upset victory. And as much as I uh, mentioned it last week on the show, the only way they could possibly win that game against the then uh, 10 and 3 Arizona Cardinals, who were undefeated on the road 7 and 0 before going into Ford Field, the only way the Lions had a chance to win is if, is if SOL reared its ugly head and found a way to not only screw the Lions out of the number one draft pick overall, 
They would also help pave the way for the Los Angeles Rams to have an easier path towards the Super Bowl. Uh, they could get closer or pull ahead of their rivals, the Arizona Cardinals. And in one game, the Lions accomplished both. They not only moved from the number the valuable number one draft slot to number two now, they also hurt their second first round pick that they'll be getting from the LA Rams and that it made things just a little bit easier for them. So of course I should have known as soon as I said it, that's exactly what would happen because the lions defeated, they didn't just defeat yeah, no, the Cardinals. They, they beat the fuck out of them. It, yeah. it was an ass kicking from, it was from the get go. It was insane. It, I mean, it looked like literally the, the opposite scenarios were playing out. The Lions looked like the Cardinals and the Cardinals looked like the Lions. The Cardinals looked totally undisciplined. They had like four personal fouls, late hits, blows to the head to the quarterback, just stupid penalties. They dropped a ton of passes. They looked completely confused on offense. They couldn't take advantage of the few turnovers that the, I think the one turnover that the Lions had. Uh, the Lions actually uh gave up a fumble and then intercepted right away and then scored a touchdown in the next play so it's like th- those scenarios are exactly what i thought arizona would do to the lions yet the lions did it to did it to the cardinals so amazing i mean that's that's the only explanation i can give is sol and it's always undefeated one way or the other uh the city of detroit is split down the middle i'd say um Half of Lions fans are excited about that that win. The other half are pissed off that they just lost the number one draft pick on a meaningless game. You know, the, the other part of this is they, you know, they kicked ass. They did this exactly one week after being mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, so <laughs> officially being a meaningless game. Um, it is, there's arguments to be made. It, it is great seeing your beloved team win a game and win in such impressive fashion, uh, win unexpectedly getting some, you know, national attention, but why couldn't this happen early in the season when it meant something, when they could do something with this. And now all it does is fuck up the, the draft position. And it's essentially that, that the two sides of Detroit are, are the way I'm going to sum it up is it, it's a it's prioritizing it's it's what your priorities are do you want short-term gratification in a win feeling good about a win or long-term success for the franchise you've devoted your life to you know the the draft pick is is what they need at this point the higher draft pick and we can we can debate you know what the value of the number one pick is versus the number two pick you know, there might not be a huge difference, especially in this year's draft, as there is not a Trevor Lawrence or, you know, a generational talent necessarily that stands above the rest. So number one and number two might be might be uh, not that big of a difference. Um, but quantifiably, it, empirically, one is better than two. We can agree on this. And, you know, a lot of a lot of Lions fans are upset with people that have my attitude. Um you know, they say the number one pick gets botched so many times. How many number one picks actually pan out? And it's like, well, how many number two picks pan out? It's not like number two is, is you can't argue that number two is better than number one in my mind. Um, and I don't see how you can argue that winning this meaningless game is going to set 
you know, set things right for, you know, this is the building block that sets us off to a Super Bowl title eventually. I mean, that is so far down the road. It's so, so nebulous and so subjective. So that that's my objective versus subjective argument that, that while that was a fun game, the lions are, are worse off by winning that, winning that game on Sunday. And it, it just, it's unreal that this is, this is my, you know, 40 some year fandom. This is what it boils down to that. I'm pissed off when we actually win games. And that's why this, this franchise is so frustrating to me. So, uh, I mean, I might as well break down the game a little bit. Cause at least that was fun. Um, you know, Dan Campbell, I've given him shit all year or not all year. I, I think I like the guy, his coaching leaves much to be desired. You know, he's famous for going for it on fourth down when the, you know, when uh, risk versus reward is not in the proportions that it should be, <laughs> that would be in his advantage. But, you know, first drive of the game, they had a nine minute drive kind of setting the tone for the game. He didn't go for it on fourth and three at the 14. No, he, he tried to get them to jump off sides. Yeah, I thought that was smart. I like that idea, but it was kind of out of character. I mean, he kind of used his uh, aggressive nature, tried to use that against uh, Arizona. So, I do have a question about yeah. that, though. I thought he did something questionable because yeah. he took the five-yard penalty. He didn't. They didn't take the timeout. They took the five-yard penalty. Oh, Pushing the field goal pick kicker back five yards. And we know for certain this year with extra points are missed all the time. Yeah. I thought it was. I think he I wanted to. A- I thought it was a little risky. I get holding on to the timeout, but like. I'd, I'd have to confirm the yardage, but I think that moved the ball from the 14 to the 19. So that would be what a 29 plus yeah, 29. Yeah. A little 36 little yard bit. field. That's still what an extra point is. So you're, you're right. But I think the, maybe the timeout is more valuable, although it's the first half. So the points are more valuable than a, than a timeout potentially. Yeah. I just, I just, half, I, laugh, that, I, think that, I, I laugh because of how much we've talked about his obvious yeah. on the fourth down and you're so deep in the zone that it almost seemed worth going for it yeah since your season is over i was surprised they didn't yeah exactly why why not go for it at that point point? and the idea at that time is like you were gonna have to outscore the, right the, yeah the that, you're strong thinking, offensive yes. attack of the cardinals so yeah so yeah it kind of kind of you know confused everybody so or maybe he's just you know maybe he is figuring out is, is figuring out when it's worth it and when it's not, or he's still all over the place. I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was a little strange, but I'm not going to bash him for that. Um, he did get all aggressive and went with an onside kick directly after the field goal, which was bizarre. I was not ready for that. They of course did not, uh, get the onside kick, but the defense got a three and out. So maybe, Maybe Danimal Cannibal knew something a little more than the rest of us that his defense was going to step up in a major way in that game because they essentially allowed only six plays for the majority of the first half to the Cardinals because they just, Lions kept going on major drives and scoring points. So uh, they ended up having a 17 to nothing halftime lead, which was incredible. Not what I expected, but. You know, you're just sort of waiting for the other other shoe to fall and waiting for the Lions to piss it away. And they, they didn't do it. They just kept 
they kept methodically moving the ball. They um, <laughs> behind the running of household name Craig Reynolds. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard of Craig Reynolds before last week, or maybe not, considering he was on the Lions practice squad and officially got moved to the, off the practice squad yesterday, even though he was playing on Sunday. Uh, Craig Reynolds had over 100 yards rushing, and I, I think that speaks to the how good our offensive line is. Um, just consistently, I've, I've talked about it most of the season, how it's coming through, and this is all... You know, right now it's with our third string center. We don't have our uh, Pro Bowl center, Frank Ragnow. And when he comes back next year, this could be one of the top offensive lines in football. And that is a really encouraging sign that I, that I bring up like a broken record every week. But that, that's how you win games. That's how they dominated that game is they controlled the line of scrimmage. So that was that was awesome to see. Um, it's almost like they can plug in anybody back there as, as a running back and they're going to they're going to gain five five plus yards of carry. So I love seeing that Jared Goff played a consistent game. He was 21 and 26 for 216 yards, three touchdowns, uh, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown and Josh Reynolds, another Reynolds to keep your eye on. They're emerging as solid wide receivers. I wouldn't say number one or number two receivers, maybe a number two and a three or a number two and a slot receiver, hopefully down the road. Um, uh, there's just a lot of positives to see in that game other than it just fucks up everything that they were trying to accomplish by getting that number one draft pick this year. So the scenarios play out. Uh, of course, uh, the Texans and Jaguars played on Sunday and Texans won. So they are a half game behind or ahead one way or whichever way you want to look at it behind the Lions with the number three draft pick. And the, of course the Jaguars move back to number one where they were last year. I don't know. I mean, the Jaguars still have the jets on their schedule. So it's, there's a potential that they could, they could win a game here and put the Lions back in the driver's seat. But I don't, <laughs> I mean the, the, the confidence and the way the Lions looked, I could see them winning, winning more games down the stretch here. I, I wouldn't think all of them, but that, I wouldn't be surprised at this point just to hurt their draft pick that much more. There's, there's potentially they, the number four pick. Yeah. They, it could go to number four. It could get worse than that too, which I don't even want to think about at this point. But so again, I mean, that's, that's just the plight of a lions fan or this old lions fan. Uh, I've seen this so many times where we start to kick ass at the end of a lost season and it just fucks up the next season. And it just drives me crazy. I want to love it. And I, I just can't do it. It's, it's, it's vexing, I guess, is the best word for it. So that is enough talk for the Lions this week. I think we need to talk about a team that is on a more positive winning path as your Dallas Cowboys took another step closer towards a division championship. Yeah, another step towards a division championship. And 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 after I after I denounced the Lions last week, uh saying how I fucking hate them. I, I love them this week. They fuck with uh, you on the, on the betting on the reg. Yeah. They, a couple times. Um, yeah, they were 12 they, and a half point, uh, underdogs and overcame that by over 18 points. So yeah. Yeah. It's a 30, but, 30 and a half point swing on the, on the spread there for the Lions. So yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I'd love them this week because, uh, they, uh, knocked off Arizona who everyone was ready to you know they're the best team in the NFC, so yeah. we'll see how that plays out. And and then 
on uh, before we get to the Cowboys, then on Sunday night, uh, the New Orleans Saints, in one of the most boring games of the year, beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers nine to nothing. Yeah, that was a which, rock fight. That was like yeah, a Big Ten game in in the mud of November or something. Purdue and Northwestern. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, suddenly, the Cowboys went from the number four seed to the number two seed this wow. week. You know, with the possibility of maybe being able to get to that number one seed, the only team in their way is Aaron Rodgers and uh, the Packers. Um, Same old story for the Cowboys. The offense struggled again, even against the Giants. They they actually had an okay running game going because Pollard was back and, and that seemed to be working, but uh, you know, the offensive coordinator is in love with the passing game and the passing game just still was not clicking. But when your defense is still creating four plus turnovers a game, it's it, it's going to take a lot for your offense to let you lose that game. Yeah. Um, scary things again, though, it was the fourth quarter. They were trying to just like ice it away. Dak fumbled this time versus throwing an interception. And when I've been watching him over the last few weeks, he looks fine physically, but there's something not clicking like it was earlier in the season. His, his reads, I mean, he looks like he just has trouble reading like a zone defense versus a man to man. And it's like, he's not seeing linebackers that drop back in coverage. And if, if they were playing a better team than the Giants, he probably would have had an interception in the first quarter. It, he basically almost like it looked like he threw the ball to the to a Giants linebacker who just dropped it, um, who had just sort of like dropped back midway, sort of sitting out there, exactly like the interception he threw in the fourth quarter of the week before. So, I mean – they got to figure out this. They got to figure out this offense. I know I sound like a broken record, but it is the only thing that's really the the a, a team that has one of the best, arguably one of the best receiving cores in all of football is having trouble moving the ball on a consistent basis. And you know maybe it's time to play Zeke less until this knee gets a little bit better and, mm. and Pollard into the starting back role. Cause I think he did outrush Zeke again. Uh, I mean, Zeke had a nice run for a touchdown in the first quarter, which kind of made me believe, okay, well this game is going to get ugly in a hurry, but it never did. It was 21 to six. Um, so it's fun. I, 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 I much prefer watching right now. I preferred when the defense is on the field, like I was watching the rest, <laughs> I was watching Red Zone on Sunday versus the game because I didn't even think it was going to be much of a contest. And um, I kept thinking, I kept saying to Charlie, I'm like, oh, they should just go to the, they should go to the Cowboys and the defenses on the field because there's a better chance they're going to score, you know? So uh, Trevon Diggs got another interception that made him the all-time interceptions leader in Cowboy history. Wow. Over Everson Walls, who was an incredible cornerback back in the 80s. He was amazing. I remember watching him uh, throughout the eighties. Oh, so. I remember. They were always fucking cowboys. Were always on TV, so I always saw Everson Walls. That's right. That's how you become a Cowboys fan. Danny White, Randy White. Yeah, a lot. Ed Too Tall Jones. Oh, Too Tall. Yeah, that was that was the the uh, 
the doomsday defense and i kind of think it's back so nice welcome back doomsday defense but you know let's get the offense going and what i said to some uh, other cowboys fans this week you know during our our rally together you know our meeting our annual <laughs> weekly cowboys Southside meeting chicago cowboys oh, yeah, meeting yeah yeah during our, our, our weekly meeting no um but some some fellow fans i do talk to from time to time i said this week is going to be interesting because they're back at home and mm. they're one of those teams like when new orleans was in their prime with drew Brees. Yeah. they were a completely different team at home than they were on the road and you didn't want to if you got the saints on the road you had a chance of beating them but once you got that that offense on that turf and you were indoors and in a controlled environment unstoppable unstoppable so you know, it's at home where they've averaged 40 points on offense a year, mm. uh, a game. So they've been away for two weeks. So let's let's see what happens this weekend against football team. Um, interestingly enough, uh, because of the extra game this year, the Cowboys haven't officially uh, clinched the division yet uh, with a three-and-a-half game lead over football team and the Eagles tonight. Who are playing as we speak. With, so. the, with the Eagles leading football team 17-10 to 10 right now, the funny part is if, which I could see this happening with the way this weekend has gone in, in, <laughs> in the NFL, and this whole season has been the last uh, few weeks, uh, if they tie, they win the division. So, there is a chance tonight the Cowboys can clinch the division <laughs> if football team and the Eagles draw after, wow. after a regular period and overtime. So we have seen stranger things this season. I so. mean, it was tied 10, 10 and a half. Uh, so, you know, anything, anything can still happen. Uh, wow. They're not, they're not very good teams. So we'll get ready we'll, to pop we'll the champagne. I, I may be, I, I may have that bourbon bottle just sitting nice. at, uh, next to me to have a sip, <laughs> a victory sip. A clinching sip. Um, however, if they do beat the Eagle, I mean the uh, football team on Sunday, they do clinch. So okay. it kind of seems inevitable at this point. But yeah, in such a terrible division, the NFC least, as we like to call them. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, your offensive issues. It seems like you have time to work those out. Especially if you clinch the division, you're working for playoff seeds, I guess, at that point. But the rest of the NFC, like you mentioned, has kind of gotten out of your way. So. I think you're in a, in a perfect position. Even if your offense is struggling, you've got time to work those things out before the playoffs actually start. Well, we do, we do have one big game on the schedule left. We got, we got Arizona. Mm. So, so we do get, we, we do, we do have our own. Uh, a, that's a W just. <laughs> yeah. I mean the, the line, you know, I mean, yeah, big deal. Let's fuck them up. I, mean, I can't really do? believe with with the Cardinals that DeAndre Hopkins not being in the lineup has affected their offense that much. Twelve, but maybe it has. Oh, they could muster. There, there was. I don't. I don't want to go back to that game, but I should have mentioned this. That that one one interest. Did you see? Did you you watch the whole thing, right? That play. Uh, I did. I did take a walk in the fourth quarter because I, you know, the only thing that could happen is they could collapse. So I just so keep it may. Updates, it, this so. may have, I think this did happen. It is even. Ha it was either late in the third or in the fourth when they had they had. Um, uh, Murray, I thought dead to rights. They he had run backwards like twenty yards, mm, yeah. and then he threw that ball like thirty yards down the field and got a first down somehow. Yeah, I and I that. was like, 
how the hell did that happen? And it wasn't there was it wasn't like there was bad coverage either. It was just yeah. like he still put the ball on the money. And That's I was the magic just like, of Kyler Murray. That's yeah, I was doing a lot like, this year. I thought for sure. I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna get like a 20 plus yard loss on this play, yeah. and he throws a, a a rocket. I'm pretty sure the Lions stuffed him three 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 plays after that. So yeah, yeah, they didn't do anything after that. Yeah, but, it's kind of another yeah. amazing moment in Lions history. So yeah, so uh, thank you Lions, thank you Saints, and uh, now yeah. we just need someone. I just need someone to beat the Packers. So. Yeah, uh, well, it won't be the Bears. I don't even know if they still play the Bears. I don't think it would be the Vikings either after last night's game. Yeah, Monday Night Football uh, was not – It was there was a bonus game, um, which is probably merciful because that was fun to watch before the Bears embarrassed themselves and the Vikings. Uh, That was an awful game. (laughs) Monday Night Football at uh, 8.15 local time. Or no, eight fifteen Eastern time. I haven't watched a Bears game in a while, and I'm surprised they keep putting them, giving them a national spotlight, considering I, how shitty they are. They became, I, yeah. they I can't joined, believe that game was on Monday night. They didn't move it. They joined the Lions as the second team to be mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, yet people keep keep watching that team for whatever reason. You know, they put them on TV and they. Run that goddamn air raid siren for every offensive play for the other team. And it is so fucking annoying. I can't imagine what it sounds like in the stadium. It's terrible for TV. The funniest thing is, you know, the the Bears would turn the ball over and then the first thing they would start playing the air raid siren because the other team has the ball because they play it on first, second, third and fourth down. Whatever they have to do, they keep playing that fucking thing. But so they'd, they'd fire up the crowd immediately after a turnover, like fumbling or muffing a punt. That's the only part that I found amusing. Uh, the other p- part I find amusing is I haven't seen uh, Matt Nagy in a while because I do my best not to watch the Bears. But we're in a mid-December, mid to late December, and he's still the bald guy wearing a fucking visor. And I've said this for years. Never trust a bald man wearing a visor. Bald men like me wear baseball caps if they're going to wear a hat or a stocking cap in December. Uh, what what the point of a, a visor on a bald man is, I, I have no idea. First of all, you get the sunburn, you get the weird or it's weird tan lines on your head with the stripe around covered up by the visor. Um, but then in, cold, in inclement weather, you're fucking freezing. So that, that, that should have been a sign unto all Bears fans that this guy is a fool. And I think it's I think it's playing out as we saw the Bears get beat 17 to three. Um, just. You know, Justin Fields is supposed to be the savior. He's still fumbling the ball at an alarming rate. Uh, you know, you mentioned they had COVID issues, but there was not much happening with that offense. And again, I don't know how Matt Nagy still has a job. They are definitely waiting until the season is over, apparently, to, to actually fire him. But, you know, even Brian Greasy at the end of the broadcast basically was calling for his firing and saying that Chicago dirt deserves better than what Matt Nagy is providing, which I thought was kind of a shocking statement. He, he kind of walked it back a little bit right after in the broadcast. But, I mean, he was as caustic as you and I have been about, about Matt Nagy at one point. I may have gotten a bit carried away, but that's just the state of affairs for the Bears. I don't I don't know if you watch – you. I don't think you watched that game at no, all. No, I, I, I made uh, – I, I have a hard time not watching a football game 
You know, I do. I really do. And I just put a stake in the ground and said, this game does not deserve a minute of my time. Wow. I don't think the Vikings are a very good team. In fact, despite probably having overall better records in the in the NFC North, I don't think the NFC North is anything better than the NFC East is either. I think you each have, they have one good team, the Packers and the Cowboys are the one good team in the East. So it's, it's like watching any of these other games, you know, you might get something that what you want is you're hoping that it's a shootout or something. So it's entertaining mm. and there's lots of scoring, but this game was just terrible. And, and Kirk cousins continues to show his, he's talk about a, a phrase we use a lot on our other podcast uh, 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 that, that was originally used at the white Sox by their GM, but you talk about mirror to mediocrity. This guy yeah. is mediocrity at its finest. He's, he has like three really good outstanding games per season. Yeah. And then everything else is just like really bad decision-making. And I know everyone's saying Jefferson fell down on that one interception in the game where it looked like he just basically threw to the bears defense. Cause there was no one standing around yeah. actually was in, in replay. He was pushed over. And I know it's all timing uh, these patterns and things like that, but where he was looking and where he stepped up and the point he threw the ball, Jefferson was on the ground. Like you, 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 you had to be able to notice he wasn't going to be there and he still chose to throw the ball. So like, I know a Vikings fan who went to the game and they said they were embarrassed to be a Vikings fan (laughs) because when you play a team one, that's as bad as the bears to begin with. And then you take 14 starters off their roster. Yeah. I mean, it should be a blowout. It should be is not what you're looking no, for. No. Pathetic. Pathetic on both sides of the ball from the highlights I saw. Out of out of respect to this podcast, I did look at the highlights. <laughs> Thank you for your respect. Yes. <laughs> respect. Ooh. Uh, speaking of respect, I'm going to respect everyone this week and not do an upset special because wow. the NFL is in such turmoil. I cannot figure anything out. I, I there's no that everything is 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 up in the air. I think it's specifically the Lions have turned your mind into a pretzel as they continue to well, cover the spread in in amazing fashion. They are nine and five against the spread now. Well, I like I said a, before, this time they were a twelve and a half point underdog and they won by eighteen, which is I've officially impossible. circled the last game, the last Sunday of the season on my calendar because the Lions, as you mentioned, are playing the Packers at home. Oh, God. That could be the Cowboys path to the number one seed right wow. there. I mean, will the Lions aid the Cowboys? Will will it basically be the Cowboys win out and have made it to the number one seed? courtesy of winning out with the lion's help it depends on how sol decides it can fuck us as as dramatically as possible whether it's moving the lions from you know the number two pick to the number five or six pick with a victory or however that that's going to play out whatever it's going to do it's going to fuck one of us i guarantee sol will rear its ugly head somehow in that game as well Well, with that, uh, unless you have any other NFL thoughts no. for the week, I think no. we should go ahead and take a break here, right here on the Wordhole Media Network. Wordhole Media. 
Major League A-Holes in the Hole Podcast, where baseball opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, and most of them stink. Find us at MajorLeagueAholes.com and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Well, I would like to welcome everyone to the Michigan Panther cast portion of the show tonight, as I have officially launched a Twitter page for these different sections we break out, uh, this specifically for the Michigan Panther cast. Uh, it is at USFL Panther cast. You can find that on Twitter, getting, getting a little following there, which I appreciate. So thank, thank you all for your follows and hope to have some USFL news every, hopefully every week, uh, might pick up as the weeks go on as rosters are announced and coaches, coaching staffs are assembled. Uh, we do have major USFL news to talk about this week as the Fox, uh, the USFL owned by Fox has actually sold some television rights to NBC, which means NBC is paying Fox to help help this league get off the ground, which is kind of an amazing thing that competitors are are in cahoots on this thing, which le- you know lends to my idea that this business plan has some serious credibility and has a, a serious potential to actually work, as opposed to a lot of the smaller ancillary leagues we've seen come and go over the last few years. You know, I, I pointed out the. USFL started is owned by Fox. They have a vested interest in making this work and making this work on television. Uh, now that you have a another television partner who is paying Fox for this, the privilege of showing USFL games, that is that is money, more money uh, helping this league uh, to get off the ground. And those are, those are major players when you have NBC and Fox uh, showing a total of 43 games, uh, that, that is the full schedule. 20 of those games will be either on the broadcast, Fox Channel, or NBC. There will be 19 games split between Fox Sports 1 and the USA Network. And that, that might sound strange off, off the top. Off the top. Uh, USA is typically not a sports network, but that is what NBC sports as we've known it for the last five to 10 years, they are actually getting rid of that in, in completely and moving all their sports coverage over to USA, including NASCAR and all their other sports coverage. Um, so it sounded strange at first, like why are they showing the USFL in USA? But that's literally that the cable wing of uh, NBC sports. There will be four games on Peacock streamed on Peacock, which you experienced a little bit with your Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, I think it was one one game out of your season this year. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of people have Peacock and might not even know it. If you're if you're a Comcast subscriber, you have Peacock. That's part of your subscription. If you have a an Apple TV or you can stream it on your uh, phone or iPads or whatever. Uh, I was a little bit worried when I heard that it was going to be a lot of games on Peacock. I was concerned it was going to be too many and that would be a detriment, but it's only four. Uh, so 10, you know, 10% of the, of all the games, but the vast majority majority are going to be on over the air broadcast and uh, cable TV. Very easy for everyone to get major channels. So I thought that was an extremely positive sign by, by the USFL and just another reason to, to think this, 
at least the idea of this is going to work. And there's a, there's a lot of money behind it. We've, we've seen other smaller leagues come and go. Like the one I think of is the AAF, I believe it was called. Um, they were here a couple of years ago, but they were literally paying to be broadcast on TV. They, they were, they actually were, uh, kind of like an infomercial almost they, they had to pay to get on tv and they were famous for not being able to pay their players after like the second week of of games uh, i couldn't make payroll so that's a radically different model that that has nothing to do with how the usfl is approaching things and another reason why i think it i think it has potential to succeed um, so yeah, I'm going to try to make you a, a USFL fan by the, by the end of this. I don't know if you're going to be a Michigan Panthers fan necessarily over there, but are they the closest team to Chicago? Maybe they are. Yeah. yeah. I, I talked about that a little bit last week. Geography wise, the only close, the only close team to Michigan in the Northern division is the Pittsburgh Maulers. They're about a four and a half hour drive East, but that's further away from Chicago. So is it M a U or M A L L like shop at the mall or I don't know. Or, do I hate those guys people? already. Do they, do they, they hurt people. They are barely leading the the Panthers in Twitter followers. So that's so the theme of last week's show is that they were going to become our instant uh, arch rivals because we had the two heart highest Twitter followers. Whoa, maybe it'll be a Twitter team, bowl. So. We were also close Twitter to trophy. Jack. Yeah, so. Uh, I don't know how they spell it. No, it's with a U for sure, but fuck those guys. Fuck those guys. <laughs> I, if, if we don't have a rivalry yet, I'm going to try and start that here. But The other thing I wanted to bring up about the USFL is I just happened to be in the mood for watching documentaries this weekend, and I forgot to uh, that I had seen a really good one many years ago now, but it was from ESPN. You you remember the old 30 for 30s that they used to yeah. do? I think they still do occasionally or maybe it's under a different name now that it's no longer 30 movies celebrating the 30th anniversary of ESPN because we're like 45 years into that now but uh, I always thought those were incredible. I I own like the first season on DVD. Unfortunately, I don't have a DVD player anymore. So it popped into my mind that there was a USFL documentary that they had done back in 2009. And so I looked that one up and and uh, got that on Amazon Prime. It's, Prime. Called, it's called Small Potatoes: Who Killed the USFL? And that's kind of a, a obviously a negative connotation that the documentarian went in went into it with. Uh, but it was a really good documentary about how how the USFL formed and what an innovative league it was and how it had the potential to succeed, and then it was summarily destroyed by. Blind ambition, cockeyed optimism, um, and pretty much greed and impatience. And specifically, they, of course, blame uh, then New Jersey Generals owner Donald Trump, who you may or may not have heard of. Uh, He's this... the guy. He was in Home Alone, too, right? In the hotel. <laughs> when you say that name, that is a charged a charged discussion immediately. But you need to remember this documentary was was uh, debuted in 2009. So it was probably made in 2007 or 2008, which would be close to a decade before he became our president. Um, so this was not oh, a that guy. <laughs> this was not a politically motivated documentary in any way. But they they certainly place the blame, the lion's share of the blame at at the foot of Donald Trump for uh, the demise of the USFL. So, yeah, I mean, nobody likes to talk. Well, at least I don't like to talk politics. Um, if you don't like the politics, don't worry about watching this documentary. It is not about that. Um, 
you do see trademark uh, trademark characteristics of our former president. Uh, he is interviewed extensively in this directly by the documentarian. And that is actually where the title of this documentary came from, is what Donald was describing the USFL playing in the spring was in small potatoes. And the only way to be <laughs> big potatoes, I guess, is in his mind, at least, is to move to the fall and take on the NFL directly, which is exactly why they failed. Uh, the USFL had gained a lot of traction in their first two years, um, mainly by through star power. They they had the f- three Heisman Trophy winners drafted in a row and signed to large contracts. They had Herschel Walker, for instance. They had Reggie White. Steve Young, uh, Doug Flutie. So they, they, were, they had household names in that league to, to start off with, and that, that's part of their success. They were also you know, an innovative league. You know, before, the US, before the NFL had instant replay review and you know, even two-point conversions, that's what the USFL was, was experimenting with in their league. They could do things like that. They even had the red challenge flag that the USFL uh, or at the NFL ripped off. So it was just interesting. I didn't even realize though. I forgot about those, at least those little factoids that the USFL was innovative in that, but it was just a colorful league and it was, it was fun. But the the real reason it, it really took off is because of that star power. And they, they spent a lot of money Herschel Walker, I think had a $4 million a year contract, which was higher than any, any NFL player at the time. So they were spending major money I'm not sure that this current USFL is going to be approaching anything like that, or if that's if that's their strategy. And I, I don't, I, I just don't see how that that works that way. I don't see, you know, any Heisman candidate, you know, any of the top draft picks in the for the NFL this year. I don't think any of them are going to jump ship for the USFL that is starting in April of 2015 or 2022. Um, so it's just different. I, I but I, this comes back to the business model that I think is is solid at least for sustained growth, where it won't be maybe the meteoric rise and fall that the original USFL had. Um, it'll be a little more slow, a slow burn to build some credibility and to build an audience. You know, they've got, they've got me. I am a late forties. Yeah, <laughs> I'm late forties band. I was a huge fan as a kid of the Michigan Panthers. They have been on my mind periodically throughout, throughout time, mainly because the lions have been so piss poor for most of my life. And you think back to the one professional football franchise that was successful right off the bat. Well, we have a, they have a built-in audience there, but the key is to get the younger generation to be interested and the coming and going of all these smaller leagues that have flopped basically is, is a little bit worrying. Um, and it, it might be tiresome to a, a new generation or someone like you that has no real interest in the USFL off the bat. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see, but they, they've, they've built this where they have this multi-year contract with NBC. This is, this is not a one-year deal. They, they are committed for, I believe it's three years. And the Sports Business Journal said it was a significant amount of money. That's how they they, qual- they qualified it as. So I think that that idea is, is consistent with uh, building this league over time where they don't you know come and go so quickly. They, they can, they're not going to make splash of deals necessarily right away and try to gain an audience with with you know big name players right out of college, uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But 
I think with a long-term runway to get this off the ground, I think, I think they have a huge opportunity for success. And I can't wait. If you can't tell, like I said, I started the, a fucking Twitter, a Twitter page for this and there's got quite a few followers already in, in less than a week. So basically started that on Saturday or this weekend at some point. And, um, we're up to like close to 80 followers on that, which is not bad. There's a built-in audience. We, they just need to find a way to grow that audience, I think. So we'll see. But that is it for this week's installment of the Michigan Panther cast. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to prolong it a little more. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so when, when do, when, when do we start to hear about rosters? That when, I when don't it, know. They're, okay. They're, they're pretty, you know, they don't need to, I mean, there isn't a date they need to set necessarily, but it's got to be soon. I mean, they're they're kicking off April fifteenth. So I mean, like, is is someone like? There's probably going to be some names that are going to pop up. Like one per one player that jumps out at me right away, who's who's tried to get back in the NFL is Des Bryant. Like, is Des Bryant going to be on a USFL team? Colin Kaepernick. There, yeah, mm-hmm. Col- that, yeah, Colin that's Kaepernick. interesting. Can Kelvin Johnson go and play in the USFL if he wants? I don't think I mean, he wants to play football anymore, but he could, I guess. I mean, yeah, that would be interesting. Getting some older players, maybe they, they could be a mix of you know those that have been shunned from the National Football League and right, players, yeah, that unsigned players. I, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I, I mean, the main way again how the original USFL worked is they literally paid to get the best players out of college and. I just I don't see that happening. There's no reason why that can't happen necessarily, but I just I'd be surprised if any of the top NFL potential draft picks somehow sign with an, a USFL team. Which, I mean, it'd be history repeating itself. You know, 40 years later, it would be great to see. It'd be hilarious. It'd be you know immediate competition to the NFL, which I think would be really interesting. I, I'm not sure that's a smart business model um, to spend a bunch of money up front. Uh, before they get established, but you, you never know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they're gonna have to. I think it's a couple, a few, a few. Like you know, you name four, and and I'm not saying they have to, you know, spend necessarily means a big spending or anything like that. Like like overspending maybe is a better way to put it. But like they're gonna get. I just have this feeling they're going to draw somebody out, some some people out, and maybe, you know, maybe it is, or maybe it's even like the guys like the Andy Daltons of the world, and mm. and and people like that who who will fringe. look better, who yeah, yeah, fringe guys. If you get fringe NFL guys, and the league is mixed of of like twenty percent fringe NFL guys, and then maybe like eighty percent everything else, those fringe NFL guys are going to be stars in that league you know theoretically and that's why the you know alternative spring league works uh, as well because you know those players are in the middle of their off season where they might you know if they want if they're trying to make a name for themselves or you know get back in the nfl maybe they can sign a one year you know one you know the three month contract two month contract with the usfl and do that and boost their boost their their qr rate you know their yeah. qa rating and see how that pans out. I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but that, that's, that's another fascinating aspect of how that, how that could work. So, I mean, the, as much as like, I'm kind of like whatever with this right now, yeah, I'm very clearly. interested. 
Well, no, but I'm very interested. No, with good see. reason. I understand. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if there was a, if there was a, that's Chicago, most of the world. So I, I if get that. There was that, like a Chicago sure. team. I, 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 I'd be way more interested in it. But and that's like, why I'm surprised there isn't one. That, that's why I thought that may have been one of the the teams because they literally just picked whatever the biggest brands were remaining from the original USFL team, USFL league because they're all playing in Birmingham, Alabama. There are no local owners. There are no local right. stadiums yet. So they just picked big brands essentially. I that you know there may be more might be more to that as they probably have put out feelers for individual ownership and uh, stadiums you know stadium situations because eventually they will move to those markets if they, if they want to be successful they can't play all their games in in Birmingham for forever so yeah I could see how you'd be more interested in the I think it was the Chicago Blitz was the, yes it was the Blitz team. were you yeah. a Blitz fan by a chance I when you were... did watch the Blitz a, okay. a bit um back I did watch the USFL like a little bit but like I wasn't you weren't locked I, in um yeah so I I'm most interested to see what these rosters look like and then and then that will help me decide my uh, vested interest in uh, time of year when I am budding and floating on air because of the start of the baseball season so potential well well, i was gonna say they may have picked a really good year to launch the usfl because yeah i i think that's a that could be a huge factor in fact i mean if the if baseball fucks this up like you and i think they might as we've talked many times on our uh, baseball podcast major league a-holes um if there is a delay even to the season, that 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 is exactly when the USFL season is supposed to start. So for a sports-starved nation, <laughs> the, you know, if the USFL could fill that void immediately, which I think would be, I mean, that could be the most serendipitous thing for this league that's ever happened. So I'm certainly not wishing uh, the major league baseball to have a work stoppage into the season. But I mean, if that was going to happen, that would be one positive out of it. Well, I think we can move on from professional football and all its formats into college football for the week. Uh, We are in the middle of bowl season, whether you know it or not, there's been a ton of bowl games played, but I don't think I've watched a single one because I don't care about any of the teams. No. This is, um, this is, this is bad. These are bad bowl games. This yeah, is, this is bad bowl season. I don't know. We speaking of bad bowl games, uh, we'll, let's bring up, uh, dads for a second. And both of our, uh, not to bring a, a dim, a dim light to this podcast, but both of our dads are deceased. But question for you, Smitty, did your dad used to, my dad would watch every like bowl game, even the bad ones like that were early on. Did your, did your dad get into it that deep? He or? did not. I used to though. I did used you to really? watch. Okay. Yeah. Well, there are also far fewer. I mean, there's still a lot of bowl games, but there are far fewer than there are now. So I think even the quality back then, I can rem- I remember watching bowl games certainly between Christmas and new year's. I remember it was kind of a novel idea that there'd be, bowl games before christmas there were um, a few there were always well, a now few. there's a ton and yeah. so it, that that's part of it the dilution of just you know if you win six games you're in a bowl i mean that, that that's what's ruined it essentially so i guess the million dollar question in regards to bowl games have you ever sat through the is it the is it the i, I may get this bowl game wrong it, it's it's like called the red the red and blue game where it's like 
Are you it's, talking about All Star Game? Like, uh, yeah, it's like the it's like the All Star Game, but it does they do the with East West Shrine Game. Oh, that's one. The East, yeah, the, it's the one where once you get up by two touchdowns, <laughs> then the other team, if they score, they get the ball back again. And oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, it's it is one of the most bizarre and annoying football games. That's you a can little. Ever it's a little different than than the bowl season because that's that's essentially a like a showcase for uh, players going to. But the But it NFL. still takes place like right around the same time though. It's really weird. See, I thought it was in January, but I could be wrong. The the one I'm thinking of, I liked a ton, and this is the the graphic designer side of me, is those players would be postseason, be after their their season after their bowl games, they would all bring. You know, they'd they'd spend like a week at camp. Like essentially, they would be at some wherever the East West Shrine game was. It was at a university. They would all stay in the dorms, and they'd be friends with all these other you know seniors across the nation. They would exchange helmet stickers, so you'd see crazy helmet schemes where you'd see like a Spartan logo on a U of M player's helmet or something. There, you could exchange stickers, which I thought was so cool because it can remind kind of reminded me like the bottom of my skateboard just adding stickers to everything and that so that's the main thing i remember from from those games there, there's like the senior bowl that's an that's another one of those kind of showcase all-star games where lots of nfl scouts go to it's not you know not a, a university versus another university in a in a, in a meaningless bowl game it's it's actually right. a, a scouting uh opportunity so those are the ones i remember but um yeah i watched all that shit when i was a kid but i think i also had more spare time and uh i do think the the proliferation of the number of games has really hurt bowl bowl season in general so um another thing that has hurt you know in a weird way that i think has hurt uh the, the whole spectrum of bowls is is honestly the college football playoff um and i think i'll, I'll explain how it's a little convoluted but I think you see players not being interested in playing in a regular bowl game anymore. If they don't make, if their team does not make the college football playoff, you're seeing more and more players opt out of playing in their bowl game. And we learned that this week, specifically with my Michigan state Spartans as their best player. And my vote for Heisman trophy winner, Kenneth Walker, the third is opted out of the peach bowl. And to compound things, uh, Kenny Pickett, Quarterback from Pitt, their opponent in the Peach Bowl, who did go to New York as a Heisman hopeful, he has also opted out. So two of the main reasons to watch the Peach Bowl this year are now gone. And I wonder if either of those guys would have opted out if somehow their teams would have made the college football playoff. Uh, or no. Yeah. Or if here, here's where the, that becomes an interesting question. What if Michigan State had made the Fiesta Bowl, as I was hoping, and I'm sure many were hoping it, which feels like a more prestigious bowl than the Peach Bowl? I, I could be wrong on that. I, that's just my feelings, at least. But the opponent in Pitt is not, you know, not a uh, a blue blood program necessarily. You know, they were great in the '80s, '70s, and '80s with Tony Dorsett and Dan Marino, but they're not they're not a traditional powerhouse. If if we had gotten the matchup that the Limp Ditka's podcast wanted, the Limpy Bowl, whatever we would have called it, with <laughs> Michigan State versus Notre Dame, there's no way Kenny Walker would have would have backed out of of the the Fiesta Bowl. I don't think. 
Um, so that that's another issue with the proliferation of bowl games, and but specifically how the the college football playoff has affected that. Um, I do not begrudge Kenny Walker the third for opting out or Kenny Pickett. I like to give Kenny Pickett some shit because I think he should not have gone to New York ahead of KW3. But um, I don't begrudge those guys making that decision at all as they are definitely going to the NFL. They're entering the NFL draft, playing in the Peach Bowl where it would be admirable and honorable uh, to to finish their seasons with their teammates. It is a terrible business decision to do that, to put their bodies on the line when their bodies are how they are going to make their potentially generational wealth by being drafted into the NFL. So it bums me out and it sucks because I was looking for reasons to really get fired up for the Peach Bowl after being disappointed by not getting into the Fiesta Bowl or especially not the college football playoff. Um, I have, have even less reason to be fired up about the Peach Bowl. So you're not running into that, I don't think, with your fighting Irish. Uh, as I haven't heard about anyone opting out of the Fiesta Bowl. I, did you have? No, I haven't. I haven't heard at all about anyone, you know, opting out. Um, I think everyone. I think everyone's in for the game. I think they. I think part of the reason they're in for the game is because they're excited about their uh, new head coach. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, it's Freeman. Uh, Freeman had that tall task ahead of him, you know, with with uh, early signing day. And uh, he, you know, we talked about last week how he went out on the road for a week straight and made it to 18 of the 21 possible signees. And it turned out uh, they got all 21. So I think he was in a really good position because he had already established recruiting relationships with those guys. So he wasn't coming in out of the blue. No, not definitely for the defensive players. He had already, yeah. you know, and they got the whole linebacker class, which word on the street is, you know, they, they got some sec type of players. In fact, one of the guys, um, Jalen Sneed is a five-star linebacker out of South Carolina, which is crazy that they were able to get him out of the grasp of uh, Nick Saban or, uh, mm. or the Georgia or even, or even, uh, you know, interestingly enough, uh, North Carolina was, was in, in one of the rankings they saw, they were the recruiting class right behind uh, Notre Dame. Yeah. I've I saw seen Notre different... Dame coming in like at seven in, in the bleacher report is the one I'm referring to. And yeah, our Hills seen... came in at eight and I've seen different ones where Notre Dame was number seven in the one I saw, but they had Michigan at number eight behind so yeah michigan's at nine in this one okay so it's pretty consistent yeah it's pretty consistent but like you know it's that's that's big news you know you i I was a little concerned i mean freeman's reputation from within the organization was obviously very high notre dame didn't really hesitate all that much um the players backed him a hundred percent so I don't know. Maybe that went a long way too. I mean, I, I understand them getting all the defensive recruits because obviously he was part of that. But I mean, maybe he was. Maybe maybe I'm just ignorant in this situation. Maybe he was also just there as a recruiter because one of his assets is he is a very good recruiter. So maybe he wasn't on part of the offensive conversations too. In the little I've seen, he is a charismatic motherfucker. So I could see how that would it would play well uh, and in recruiting. 
Yeah. So um, that was that was really great to see. Um, it was also great to see that LSU was way back in the teens. <laughs> um, all the dancing and all the all the all the talking. Nothing didn't make anyone. In fact, in fact, and I I, I had notes and I, it's like my notes didn't update this week, but I've been tracking it. There was a series of movements out of LSU where a lot of players, I want to say around five, maybe, maybe I'll say three to five and not to be, I know at least three, but I thought it was as many as five. I was making a running list, mm. uh, have left. Wow. So things aren't all uh, rosy down there for that Southern gentleman, Brian Kelly. So <laughs> we'll see how his uh, first year pans out there. You said they were in the mid teens. You thought I, I forgot. To yeah. Them up in the one I saw. Yeah. They were, they were, they were towards the, the back of the pack. Let's see. I can get that for you right here. Then this, this is, this is, uh, this is bleacher report. I saw the, this, uh, yeah, they were, so they had the Spartans at 20, Auburn at 18, okay. LSU at 17. Okay. I was looking at Sports Illustrated. They had, uh, that's the one I mentioned where Notre Dame was number seven. That's been consistent. That's where Michigan was number eight. I didn't see LSU, but I think they probably had it at 16 or 17, just like you saw in the Bleach Report. And they had Michigan State at 21 in the one I saw. So that's that's interesting that Bleach Report had them at number 20. Um, I'm a little disappointed in, in seeing the Spartans that low, but I wonder I I didn't look it up what they were last year. I have a feeling it's much higher than it, than it would have been, uh, before this, this incredible season, uh, the 10 and two record under Mel Tucker, the bad motherfucker. So, <laughs> uh, maybe that's trending up. Um, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that they're not in the top 10 in the country as Michigan state rarely gets, gets that high, even in their heyday under Mark D'Antonio, they were, they were picking up uh, instead of four and five star recruits. They're picking up two and three star recruits and turning them into uh, major college football players. So, right. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But that's I just I think it's fun to, for the teams we talk about to at least compare those notes and in, in December in this early early signing period, and we'll see how that plays out into next season. Well, that's about all I have for this evening, unless you had any other no, I any didn't. Other for, thoughts. I, I don't think I forgot anything. All right. What's the score on this? I've got the Seattle and Rams game going. Is right that now. still like it was 10-10 last I saw? I quite see it from where I'm at, but uh, you were definitely wa- watching with bated breath the – Football team versus the Eagles. I would just love if it tied. Just, it, just it would just clinched. be so perfect. That'd be awesome. It, it, it'd be a perfect way to clinch the NFC East. It really would. We're all rooting. Um, oh, Rams are up twenty to ten, and hmm. Eagles are up twenty-seven to seventeen on football team. Okay. No, I, still there's a path to a tie there. Ten. There's so. still a path to a tie. Yes. <laughs> Well, I think we can wrap this one up. This is episode 30 of the Limp Ditkas podcast. Uh, you can catch us on social media at Limp Ditkas. You can find our merchandise for sale at limpditkas.com. You can catch us on YouTube as well. And you can find this podcast anywhere you'd like to find a podcast. So with that, I'm going to call this Dagger Time. We out. Peace. Peace.
Media.